So we are in these last few weeks before the season of Lent and our journey to the cross with Jesus. We are looking at our, our core values, as Greg pointed out, and we've been looking at them for several, several weeks, and this week um, is the fifth of six. This week we are looking at our core value of diversity. So I ask you to hear these words of scripture that are the root of our understanding of how this is a necessary and authentic expression of our life together in Jesus. From the Gospel of Matthew, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Will you pray with me? God, we ask that you would reveal yourself to us as we gather around the word of scripture, which is our living bread. God, we pray that you would prepare us to receive the word and the life of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Church, it's always a good thing when you're facing a passage from scripture and sincerely wondering what does this mean? When you're actually asking and desiring to know, God, what are you saying to me today through these ancient and living words? If what you're really seeking in scripture is knowledge and revelation and not just confirmation and affirmation, if what you really want is to know what God has for you, then it is an always and an insightful exercise to look and see what happened just before the part of scripture you're focusing on. So just before this moment in the 12th chapter of the gospel of Matthew, Jesus has been telling and living God's truth to the crowd. That particular day, he's been healing on the Sabbath, feeding on the Sabbath and unbinding those imprisoned by the enemy. He is unbowed and unbossed when the religious police show up and say, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Jesus is being holy in public. And some people, some holy people, they show up these are people who have serious God credentials. These are the pastors and the religious leaders and the scribes and the professors. They show up on that day and they say, teacher, show us a miraculous sign. Prove yourself to us. Now, this teacher, this man they're demanding a sign from, he has already by this point in the gospel opened the eyes of the blind, cured the lame, 
cast out demons, freed those who are imprisoned by demonic powers. He has already cleansed and healed the lepers. He has made the deaf hear again. He has already challenged the authority of the priestly class. He has not only pronounced good news for the poor, but he has fed the hungry. And most astonishingly, he has done all of this without enriching himself by wealth or status. And he's already raised the dead. He's already done all those things and they know it because that's why they're there. But they come to him, these faithful, learned, spiritually committed people, these presby- these Christ- <laughs> these Pharisees, and they say, teacher, give us a sign. Prove to us. I believe the word to describe these seekers is trifling. And Jesus says to them, no. You're going to get a sign but it's not the miracle sign you seek because I don't actually work for you. But you're going to get the sign of Jonah swallowed up by truth and delivered unwillingly into the unwelcome, terrible grace and glory of God. And that's what's happened just before the passage that we're reading today. And I'm saying that all of that to you to say, I personally have not seen sight restored to the blind, though I've prayed for it. I personally have not seen people who are deaf begin to be able to hear again. I haven't seen paralyzed folks rise up and dance. I haven't seen with my own eyes bread multiplied, but I personally have seen enough. I have seen Death yield to life. I have seen people delivered from evil. I have seen healing. I have seen transformation. I have known resurrection power up close and personal. I've seen enough to know in my own flesh and in my own story, in my own experience, that this Jesus is the Son of God and the Lord of creation. And I can say all of that to you because it's no credit to me. But it's only credit to God who has shown me in my own life. It's to acknowledge the tender goodness of God, the merciful kindness of God who has shown me in my own experience that these aren't just words in a book. And if you haven't seen it in your own life, there's no shame in that. If you are honestly seeking and you just don't know yet Maybe you'd like it to be true. Maybe you fear that it is true, but you don't know yet in your own flesh the good news. There's no shame in that. Just the opposite, actually. There is a sacred and courageous beauty in honestly seeking God, in brave doubts. So if you haven't seen a sign in your own life yet, I'm not worried about you at all. Because God has given you the grace to seek. And Jesus promised that all those who seek will find. So if you are still seeking a sign this morning because you haven't known it yet in your own flesh, then bless you. 
And just rejoice. You are on a sacred journey and God will be faithful to you and you have all the time in the world and God will bless you and keep you and enrich you. If you are still seeking a sign in your life because you've not known it before, that's a good and holy thing. And it's faithful to ask God for a sign that this is true in your life. It's a holy thing not to know for sure. But if you're like me, if you're like those Pharisees, And you do know in your own flesh, you do know in your own life story who Jesus is. If you know the Lord, then don't dare come at him like the Pharisees saying, give me a sign and then I'll let you teach me, dazzle me, impress me, and then I'll reward you with my attention and my commitment and my agreement. If you don't know who Jesus is yet in your own story, you don't have to take somebody else's word for it. You can wait and see and taste and know that the Lord is good, and you can listen to what's coming next just in peace and wonder about it with joy. But if you know that Jesus is Lord, then you have to listen And repent of forsaking the revelation of your Lord if you have rejected it before. And recommit, if you know Jesus is Lord, to the truth and the way of the almighty God that he is setting before us. So Jesus is teaching this crowd. And his mother and brothers, his family, his biological family, they come to him. Where's Joseph? We don't know. But Mary and Jesus's brothers come and they can't get to him because he's inside and they're outside and there's such a crowd, but they want to talk to him. And so the people around them pass the message up to the people around Jesus. And they say, your mother and brothers, your family are outside and they want to talk to you. And the expectation of everybody is that Jesus is going to stop what he's doing and go outside See what they want. See what they need. They're his family. Family first. We say it now. They said it then. Family first. There's a through line to this idea. It crosses culture and exists throughout the eras. If you have, you can have something important to do. You can have something holy even. That's all fine and good. But they're your family And they want you and they need you and they come first. And God gave you your family and God wants you to love your family. Honor your father and mother, says God. God would never ask you to do anything more important than your family. God would never ask you to do anything that offends or separates you from your family. That's how the thinking goes. You all know it. So they come to Jesus and they're like, you're going to have to stop this now, whatever you're doing here. You've got to take a break. You've got to leave what you're doing right now, Jesus, because your family's here and they're outside. Now, if you don't know yet, then hear what's next and wonder about it and doubt even. If you don't know that Jesus is Lord, you can just be astonished by this. But if you do know that Jesus is Lord then don't demand a special miracle spectacle from him before accepting the wisdom and truth that your teacher is giving you. Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers? And he points to his disciples and the people around him in the crowd and says, look closely. Here are my brothers. Here is my mother. Not his father, because we know who Jesus' father is. Jesus says, whoever knows and does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. 
That's an astonishing thing for Jesus to say. In the message amplified translation by Eugene Peterson, he renders this passage like this. Jesus says, look closely. These are my mother and brothers. Obedience is thicker than blood. The person who obeys my heavenly father's will is my brother, my sister, my mother. In other words, family is formed by the will of God. Now, we all already believe this to some extent. We all know that our family comes from God, that God created life, and so God created our family. We all know something about the improbable miracle of our own existence. You know that God created your family and that God can recreate and renew and restore and expand your family. And don't get it twisted. In this passage, Jesus isn't being anti-family. He's not demanding the disillusion of family. Jesus maintains relationships with his own biological kin. He, his mother Mary is at the cross. His brother James follows him and becomes a disciple. Many of his disciples follow Jesus with their families. Hence, we've got that story about Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. You know for sure Peter's whole family was there. If his mother-in-law was there. And there's always children around when Jesus wants to center them in a lesson about discipleship. People were following with their whole families. Jesus is pro-family. But Jesus is not family first. Not in the way that we understand it. Jesus is pro-family. Family is a gift from God. And Jesus redeems, restores, and redefines family by radically expanding it. And the reality is what Jesus is doing is actually restoring family to the holy beginning. The holy beginning of unfallen creation, which was shalom, mutually interdependent flourishing, unconditional belonging, an anti-hierarchical independent, not the original family of Jesus was not this hierarchical, independent, I am, I just said that wrong three times. <laughs> such a bummer. Such a bummer. I was on such a roll. Jesus is redefining family. He's expanding it and he's redefining it. So the family becomes a place of unconditional belonging. It is anti-hierarchical. It is a community of interdependent people who love and belong to each other. And Jesus is radically expanded, reclaiming a family. We all know that we are our siblings keeper. That's what Jesus is doing with the family. Jesus is serious about this. And so if we claim him not just as our savior, but as our Lord, the one that we give authority over our lives, then when Jesus tells us this, we have got to begin to think differently about family. And we have got to be exercised and delivered from our tribalistic, racist, violent, divisive, exclusionary, deformed, and demonic beliefs about family. Jesus... Jesus is not killing the family. Jesus is restoring it. And Jesus is not in this passage coming to take away your family. Jesus has come to heal and expand it. Now, if your experience of family is one of unconditional love and support and belonging, 
And praise God. And in this passage, Jesus is saying to you, the ones I love are also your family. You have good news. More brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers than you knew. So rejoice in what you have and then rejoice again. There is even more real family for you. And if your experience of family is more bitter than sweet, if you have known rejection and threat, abuse, shame, destruction, or even betrayal in your family, if you have had no family, and so your experience has been isolation, and it's all up for me, to me, no one is going to help me, I've got nobody to fall back on, if that's, any of that has been your story, then first of all, I am really sorry. That is a deep wound, and it deserves to be centered and grieved and acknowledged. Second of all, if that's part of your story, just know you're not alone. And honestly, if you read scripture, then your experience in this fallen world is more the norm of the families you find in scripture than the exception. Most families are not what we are told all families are. And third, here's the good news. You can surrender your wounds to the Lord, and healing might be impossible for us as humans, but nothing is impossible for God so you can surrender your wounds from your biological family to the Lord, and you can know that in Christ, you are part of a new family. And it's not instead of your family, but it is in addition and an expansion of your family, because in Christ, we discover that we are all children of Jesus's father, God. And by God's grace, through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are called and equipped through our transformation, through being born again, to be brothers and sisters and children and parents to one another. We find in Christ new life and new belonging to a family where everyone is wanted and everyone belongs and everyone is cherished and everyone begins again beloved. And in this house, we find home. So we discover in this place friendship with some, which is a beautiful spiritual gift of affinity and joy and delight, but kinship with everyone. We are all true family with one another. And American culture is fighting about what is a real family and narrowing and narrowing the definition of what counts and what do you owe your family. But in Christ, we recover our real, deep, and eternal family. We recover our kinship with one another. Our culture, most often, defines family as those with whom we share blood. But in the kingdom, we who once were blind are healed so that we can see that it is not blood that defines family, but breath. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, which is the second account of the story of creation, the Lord God forms humans from the dust of the ground and breathes into the nostrils of the first human the breath of life. And in that moment, when God's breath enters into the lungs, the human being becomes, in the words of Scripture, a living being. 
It's your breath in our lungs. We sing that song here. It's the breath of God, our first true Holy Mother Father. It's God's breath in our lungs that makes us part of a living family. And the lie of Satan has been consistent from the beginning. The lie of Satan has been showing up to saying, God's way is not good. God is holding back. There's not enough for everyone. So take all you can for you and for a small select group of people and destroy everyone around you who seems like a threat. They don't really belong. It's the enemy of our souls who blinds our eyes and our hearts and our minds to our belonging in the sacred humanity family and seduces us to replace the truth of kinship with the idol of clan. It's God's breath in your lungs. That's what makes us mother and sister and brother. It's God's own breath in our lungs that makes us new creation family. It's God's breath in our lungs that opens our eyes to see that as it was in the beginning, it is now and ever shall be that we belong to God. And so we belong to one another. It's the breath of God and the lifeblood of Jesus that make us family. So when we say that diversity is a core value here, It's not a trend. It's not a fad. It's not a partisan agenda. And it's certainly not new. It's recovering what is ancient. It's not progressive. It's bringing us back to the first truth that we are all made out of God's holy whole. We are made to belong to each other. We are made to need one another, to serve one another so that there is mutuality and interdependence in God's family. We were designed by God to be limited and incomplete so that we would grow into healthy, flourishing non-uniform unity with one another. And the enemy of our souls and the ruler of this passing away era and the powers and principalities of evil would divide us to destroy us and would have you believe that you are either able to be above or apart or that you can never be accepted or understood, that there cannot be real trust and healing, that some must be denied or rejected or excluded or punished for belonging to happen. But the truth is no less than this. If you cannot only see with love, but dwell as family with those that the world says are not your family, with those that the world says cannot be included, with those that the culture says can never be redeemed or forgiven, for those that the world says their evil is greater than the goodness and forgiveness of God, if you cannot live with them as your siblings in Christ, then you do not know the risen Jesus, and he's not your Lord, because they came to Jesus and said, your family is outside, and Jesus said to them, my family is inside this room and outside this room. My brother and sisters and mothers are all those who know and do the will of God, and at this point, you might say, aha, he said those who do the will of God, not everyone does the will of God, so those people aren't my family, loophole, First, notice that there are many who are unclaimed by the church who do the will of God as defined by Jesus with much more passion and commitment and sincerity than those of us who claim his name. But second, you might want to point at some people and say, look, the evil, the stain of sin in their lives or in their heritage, they are no more and never will be more than the worst they have ever done. They do not belong. And you might be right. 
Perhaps you are right, you who love to draw lines. You who have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Perhaps there is some evil that the grace of God cannot overcome. You who understand what it is to be the prodigal son, but not what it is to be the prodigal father. You who confidently proclaim who it is that God's love can live without. But it is not just those who do the will of God, but those who know the will of God in order to do it, who are Jesus's family. And the will of God, he said, those who know and do the will of God, the will of God is the sacred thread that runs throughout the whole story of scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And the will of God is to overcome the curse of the fall and redeem, reclaim, restore, and save all of creation. There is no one God has made that God desires to eternally destroy. You might, but you're not God. You can talk about it with your friend Jonah underneath the unpredictable plant. That's a throwback. A callback is what I meant to say. God desires the healing and wholeness of all creation and the restored reunion of the entire human family. And our diversity here in this church is the spirit birthed living sign of God's will and God's power to enact God's will. Now, church, maybe for a time, some of us ignorantly thought that all we needed to do was get everybody in the same room and then we would instantly and effortlessly become a family. There'd be no pain, there'd be no discomfort, there'd be no strangeness, there'd be no healing. We don't need to grow. We can just come in exactly as we are and instantly be family. We thought in Jesus, we have the secret ticket and we can outrun our past and ignore our present. And when it turns out not to be true, microwave spiritual family, when that turns out not to be true, we sniff and say, well, I tried. It's not for me. Jesus probably wouldn't ask it of me. But everybody in this room knows Family is good work. Healthy families require commitment and sacrifice and sacred boundaries and courageous truth-telling and honor and mutuality and humility and belonging and intentional connection and nurturing and a flow of give and take of giving care and receiving care and an unending flood of love. And none of that is possible without grace. None of that is possible without the power of God being in us, a power that's not of us, that transforms our limits and our lack and our weakness into a cracked cup that leaks God's goodness and love. But church, you have to believe Jesus When he says, my family are the ones who know and do God's will. And you've got to want to be part of that new family. Or you won't be. Not because it's not possible, but because you've not chosen it. You'd prefer a different family. You don't like, don't approve, don't believe, aren't buying it. And maybe you'll come to Jesus and say, I need a sign that this is really what's required, that this is really your will. I need a sign that you are who you say you are before I throw off everything I was certain of and follow you and let you turn my world upside down. Church, here's the sign. It is at this table on the night he was betrayed by those very disciples he claimed as his family. Jesus sat down at this table 
and he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he said to them, this is my body broken for you. Eat of it, all of you. And in the same way, after they had all eaten of the bread, this beloved, flawed, imperfect family of Jesus's, after they had all eaten of the loaf, he took the cup and he gave thanks to God for it as well. And then he said to them, his chosen, his family, he said to them, this cup is the new covenant It is my blood poured out, not for condemnation, but for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you. It is the blood of Jesus that makes us family. It is the breath of God that makes us family. It is the grace of God who overcomes all divisions and heals all wounds and restores every broken place. And this is the sign and all you who love God and all you who are loved by God, there is a place for you. There is enough for you. You belong at this table. So I invite you to prepare your hearts and minds to eat at the family table, and I invite the elders forward to prepare the feast.